0: I don't think it's fair to say that if you fall for this vector that you're stupid. I think that social engineering works on us because we're human.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where we take a look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome. Good to see you, as always. Good to be here, Dave. We've got some great stories to share today. Later in the show, we've got an interview with Christopher Hadnagy. He's author of the book Social Engineering, The Art of Human Hacking, But before we get all that, a quick word from our sponsor, the fine folks at Know Before. So how do you train people to recognize and resist social engineering? There are some things people think. Test them, and if they fall for a test scam, fire them. Or other people say, if someone flunks the test, shame them. Instead of Employee of the Month, it's doofus of the day— Or maybe you pass out a gift card to the one who gets the A plus for skepticism in the face of fishing. So how about it? What do you think? Carrots or sticks? What would you do? Later in the show, we'll hear what the experts at Know Before have to say. They're the sponsors of this show. All right, we are back, and uh, each of us have an interesting story this week. Joe, why don't we start off with yours? What do you have for us? All right,
2: mine comes from the Anti-Phishing Working Group, the APWG. They have released their report for the fourth quarter of 2017, and one of the findings was that there has been a large increase in phishing sites that use HTTPS, which is a content encryption protocol. Right. The percentage of the sites that are using this is 30%, whereas last year it was only 5% so that's a six times increase so walk us through
1: the uh, what exactly HTTPS is just to review what so, that means
2: well let's uh, from a user' standpoint it's the it's the feature of your web browser that puts a little green lock in the uh, address bar of your web browser like I'm looking at Chrome right now right and there's a little padlock green padlock and it says secure mm-hmm. and I can click on it and I can view all kinds of site information about uh, about the certificates and, and the APWG conducted an informal survey and found out that uh, 80% of users thought that the green padlock meant the site was secure. Right. Uh, but that's not true, because maliciously registered domain names can easily get an HTTPS certificate. Hmm. So there's there's some user training that needs to go on. Uh, it's important for people to understand what the padlock symbol means. Uh, first, it's a feature of your web browser. Right. Right. It's the software on your computer is is telling you. The padlock is telling you that the web browser believes the connection to the website is secure and that the website has a valid certificate. That's it.
1: So that means that, that the connection between my computer and whatever server I'm connected to, it, rather than being clear text, right. it is encrypted, and that encryption has been verified as being valid and, and secure.
2: Correct. So when, uh, you know, years ago, you know, back, in the, back in the early 2000s, Late '90s, even uh, we would tell people when you're going to a website uh, to do any kind of shopping, make sure that the little green padlock. or Actually, back then it wasn't even green; it was just it was uh, on Mozilla on, or not on Mozilla. I guess then it was called Netscape. Right, <laughs> <I'm> dating myself, <laughs> uh, but it was a little padlock that would be open if your site was not secure, and then it would be a closed padlock with a yellow background that would be that would be there if your site was secure. Right, and that was how you tell and we'd say don't enter your credit credit card information unless it has this site and that kind of evolved i guess socially to you know the site secure if the padlock is is on and then the padlock uh, went through the user interface evolution to become the big green thing you see up top so it's it's more present more visible you don't have to go hunting for it it's right there next to the url but basically the padlock means That it's very unlikely, and I mean, when I say very unlikely, I mean really, really, really unlikely that some third party is eavesdropping or changing the data in transit. It does not mean that the website is safe.
1: I think I reflexively look for that lock, particularly like you say, if I'm entering some credit card information or or filling out any kind of form, uh, I look for that lock to make sure that it is a secure connection. So. And I guess that's not a bad thing, but the the point here is not to be uh, falsely uh, put at ease by the fact that it's there.
2: Right, exactly. No, what you're doing is 100% correct. You should look for that lock even before you start entering any personal information. Hmm. Before you even do that, you should make sure that you trust this website.
1: So the bad guys are taking advantage of the fact that we are used to seeing that lock. Correct, and many of us uh, incorrectly think that that lock means that everything's fine. Everything,
2: and that's that's right. That's that's what everybody. I'm, oh, there's some kind of picture in my mind, something where somebody's going, everything's fine. <laughs> right,
1: right. I right. don't know. Yeah, yeah, but it, uh, but but it turns out that uh, the bad guys can get their hands on a valid certificate very easily, and they can generate that lock, and yep. that's that's what throws you off.
2: That's right. So how do we protect ourselves against this? Awareness, awareness, awareness. Mm. Um, really, that's the only thing. Uh, you know, and 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 it's an excellent question because you know, to the average user, to the layman, the only thing that they can do to protect themselves is first to become aware of what this means and what the difference between trusting the site and trusting the connection is. I guess aside from that, in an organization, you could have some whitelisting software that doesn't allow your users to go to any other site other than what's on the whitelist. But that's kind of difficult to maintain
1: right all right it's an interesting story and uh, certainly something to look out for so Joe my story this week has to do with holidays and events my favorite <laughs> you're, you're you're a fan of holidays and events yes. uh, I don't know I mean, barbecues cookouts hey, uh, actually
2: yeah. I I'm a big fan of barbecues and cookouts yeah. right right holidays well,
1: These are more—they were talking more about uh, national holidays and, 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 um, I guess, high-profile events. In this case, uh, some of the bad folks out there are taking advantage of the fact that um, GDPR is upon us. Right. And GDPR is the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation. Yes. And that's a big deal. And so some of the folks who are out there doing phishing— are using GDPR as part of their fish bait. Mm -hmm. Um, In this particular case, they are targeting Apple users, and they're threatening them with account suspension. So, as we talk about, uh, a call to action of saying, you know, if you you don't do this right away, we're going to suspend your account and you won't be able to use all of those nifty Apple things that you're used to using. Uh, And so this fish looks like a legitimate email from Apple, but if they follow the link that they're given... They're sent to an account rescue site, which of course is there to actually extract their credentials and other personal information. Sure, um, it's legitimate looking, but it's not actually from Apple. Mm-hmm. One of the things they're asked to do is to update their payment details.
2: <laughs>
1: of course, and let me guess what
2: this—let <laughs> me guess what this gathers. <laughs> right,
1: right. Credit card information. So once they're done, they're, they're asked to click a button that's labeled "unlock," and that sends the, all their information that they've entered right to the scammers. Right. Uh, researchers over at Trend Micro say this is uh, more sophisticated than the usual run of fish bait. But there are a few indications that uh, it's not on the up and up. Um, first of all, some of the recipients haven't even been Mac users. so <laughs>
2: that, Yeah, they're just, okay, so that, that says they're just sending it out to everybody they have on a list,
1: right? Right, right. So, uh, you know, if if you're a Windows user and you get uh, an email saying to log into your Apple account, well, that's a tell that something's off. Right. And then also the URL itself is off. It's not actually an Apple site. It's something that looks similar to an Apple site. You know, and we've talked about this where they can replace the L in the word Apple with a one or something like that. So at a quick glance, it looks like it's legit, but it's not. Awareness here seems to be the recommendation, organizations reminding their
2: employees
1: about these events.
2: Do you think this is a real threat to organizations or just maybe to individual users?
1: Well, I, I think it could be both because I think a lot of organizations are dealing with GDPR, Mm-hmm. So and, and and in terms of the social engineering angle I mean I guess anything that raises the legitimacy the perceived legitimacy of some sort of phishing email right is tra- it, it's trouble and it it increases their their chances of being effective
2: This GDPR uh, or and and not and this is not unique to GDPR so don't don't think I'm 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 saying this is a a a mark against GDPR because mm-hmm. anything that is like this is going to have the same effect but it presents an opportunity to these fishers to go after people, right? Um, you know, it's something that's in the news every day. Uh, people are hearing about it all the time. And if I send you an email that says you got to step up for GDPR, it's going to be in, already in your mind, right? And that's kind of what's going on with the psychology of this. I got to right. find something in in your thought process that's going to trigger some action that I want you to take.
1: Yeah, and GDPR has big penalties
2: if you don't comply. So Right, but people should realize those penalties are for companies, not for individuals.
1: But in this case, I think they're using GDPR as the excuse to say, hey, uh, you've heard about this thing that's coming along. Help us out here. We need you to update your information so that we can be compliant. So that's why we're asking you.
2: Right. It's just, again, like we say always, awareness of What's going on? Yeah, they're being
1: opportunistic.
2: They, they definitely are being opportunistic.
1: Taking advantage of something that's already top of mind for yep. folks. And like we said at the top, you know, we do see it with holidays. So J- the 4th of July or Thanksgiving or New Year's Day or Christmas, people take advantage of all those things being uh, in people's minds. And uh, they use that as the hook for the fishing. All right. So, again, uh, something to be aware of. Uh, just so people, you know, the, the bad guys tie their data into these events Uh, And they use that familiarity to make their emails seem more legit. And so, as always, you just need to be suspicious, especially of emails that have links. Uh, And when in doubt, ask for help. All right, moving on. It's time for our catch of
2: the day. All right, what do you got, Joe? Uh, This comes courtesy of Rachel Toback from Twitter is the CEO of Social Proof Security. You can mm. find her on Twitter at, at Rachel Tobeck. Mm-hmm. And she posted a picture that was a text message exchange between two users, and she has obfuscated who they are. It's a very interesting exchange. The first is a message comes in, and it says, hey, I know you don't know me, but many years ago, I used to have your number. I'm trying to log into an old account that is still tied to this phone number. But It's telling me that it will send me a verification code. I'd like to know if it'd be okay with you if I request the code, and then you can just text it back to me. If not, that's totally fine. Right? And this person says, okay. So they responded and said, They they responded and said, okay, this is the phone holder. Right. And the person on the other end says, thank you so much. I just requested it. And then the person... Who who holds the phone sends back the verification code, and the person texting the phone holder says, You're a lifesaver. Thank you so much and sorry for bothering. And the person replies, Welcome. So what's going and, on here? <laughs> so well, you don't really know what's going on here. Right. Uh, you know, you this this is not enough information to tell you what to tell you what's actually happening. It is certainly plausible that this is somebody who used to hold the number that that, that the receiver of these messages now holds. But it's also entirely possible, and I would say even more likely, uh, because of my lack of faith in humanity. I guess uh, that that this is a scammer who is either trying to scam the person who currently holds the phone. They have all the information to break into the account, like they have the phone number, they have the username, they have the password, but they don't have the verification code. Perhaps the original account holder has given up their phone number, and this person who's receiving these messages does have it, but. If you're receiving these messages, you have no way to verify that the person sending you that text message has a legitimate reason to access the account that he's trying to access. Right. You don't know who this person is. You don't you have no idea who this person is. In fact, what's what's interesting is the very first sentence this person says is, "Hey, I know you don't know me."
1: Right. That's right. I guess one of the important points here is being sent a verification code is a common part of two-factor authentication. Yes, it is. What strikes me about this is how casual it is.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. It, this seems very casual. Honestly, Dave, we don't know if this is legitimate or not, right? This could be. This no, could be a legitimate. I'm request, with you though
1: that that it probably isn't. Yeah, but it probably because isn't it, because, yeah, I, but the the casual nature of it and and playing on everyone's desire to be helpful.
2: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: So you don't know me. I used to have this number. Well, you know, that's that's plausible. right? But the way that they wrap it up and say, hey, uh, if not, that's totally fine. In other words, you know, no big deal if you can't help me, but boy, if you could be helpful, that'd be great.
2: I think that last part is key to the deception.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So it's an interesting uh, cautionary tale there that uh, if someone tries to get you to turn over uh, a code like this, beware. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Just say no. Just say no. Let them go at it a different way.
2: That's right. Like uh, trying to get in touch with the actual website hoster.
1: All right, Joe, that's a good one. And that is our
2: catch of the day.
1: So coming up next, we have uh, my interview with Christopher Hadnagy, who's the author of the book Social Engineering: The Art of Human Hacking. We'll have that in just a moment. But first, another message from our sponsors. No before. Let's return to our sponsor. No before's question carrots or sticks Stu Showerman, know Before's CEO is definitely a carrot man you train people, he argues in order to build a healthy security culture and sticks don't do that approach your people like the grown-ups they are and they'll respond learning how to see through social engineering can be as much fun as learning how a conjuring trick works hear more of Stu's perspectives in KnowBefore's weekly cyber heist news we read it and we think you'll find it valuable too Sign up for Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com slash news. Joe, earlier this week, I had the opportunity to speak with Christopher Hadnagy. He's the author of the book Social Engineering, The Art of Human Hacking. You and I have both read this book. Yes, well, I'm about halfway through it right now, but it's a good book. An interesting conversation, covered a lot of ground, Here's my conversation with Christopher Hadnagy. Why don't we just start off with
0: some high-level stuff here. I mean, How do you define social engineering? That's a good starting point. So I, I define social engineering as any act that influences a person to take an action that may or may not be in their best interest. And I, I use a broad definition because I don't always think that social engineering is negative.
1: Hmm. Well, let's take us through that. Can you give us some examples of what are the good and the bad?
0: So I think uh, when we look at how we communicate with our family, our children, our spouse, our bosses, our clergy, our therapists, the people that we meet every day, the way that we communicate with them on a daily basis uh, really can fall into certain aspects of social engineering. Do we build rapport? Do we use authority? What, What parts of influence do we use? Are we manipulative? What chemicals are released in our brain? that make us feel certain emotional content towards that person, whether it be positive emotions or negative emotions. And when we look at that, we get a clear uh, beginning to understand how people make decisions. You know, I use a silly example when I talk about this, but for any of you guys out there that have daughters, you may have at one point in time had a princess tea party where you had makeup and nails being done. Mm -hmm. And you say, how would that decision ever be made? Well, yeah, you can say the easy answer is, well, she's my daughter and I love her, but it's not that simple because there's a lot of people that I really care for, but I would still say no to that request. It's a series of physiological and psychological reactions in the, in the human brain and body that allow a person to make a decision to say yes. So when we analyze the good side, we begin to understand how scam artists and, and con artists throughout the centuries. Um, have worked on humans by, by using these very same philosophies and principles to get them to say yes to something that they shouldn't. And this is really,
1: a, I suppose, a, a modern name that's uh, that's been put on something that's been around as long as we've been human.
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, you look at how humans have interacted throughout the, the written record of human history, and you could see all these things uh, occurring. And it's just a medium and how they're delivered. Right? I mean, fishing has always been there. But we didn't have email you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. So when we look at, at uh, how it worked back in, in written form, it was different. right? We look back in the early 1900s at some of the greatest con men in history, and they used very much of the same philosophies as we see in scam artists today and, and people who say they're the IRS or Microsoft that want to steal money. Uh, very same philosophies, but the medium of delivery was much different.
1: Now, when it comes to cybersecurity, what do you find, in terms of social engineering, what do you find most noteworthy or most interesting?
0: Well, when we talk about social engineering now from a security perspective, then we have to focus on the four main vectors, right? So phishing, which is uh, email-based attacks, vishing, which is voice phishing, smishing, which is uh, SMS phishing, and then impersonation, which is the people who impersonate either an employee or law enforcement and break into a building for some other kind of crime. And when we look at those four different vectors. Right now, I think it was uh, last year's Verizon DBIR report states that uh, over 91% of all breaches had some element of phishing involved in them. Uh, so that's not really shocking to us because we've we've heard this before. But what I think is shocking to me is seeing uh, how much of an increase there is in phishing and impersonation vectors. Hmm. Uh, we we didn't see that much of it just a few years ago. But now we're seeing the phone being used, especially with things like VoIP being so cheap and easy to set up. Uh, we see a lot more vishing than we ever have and a lot more um, impersonation, especially of law enforcement, which is, to me, a, a, a very shocking part of this attack vector.
1: Why do you suppose we're seeing this increase? Could it be as simple as
0: because it works? Well, I think I think that is part of the answer. But I also think that when it comes to vishing, let's say, I think it's um, it's cost of execution with potential payout times risk of getting caught, right? So when you do that kind of like a mathematical equation, uh, vishing looks pretty attractive. You could set up a VoIP server for almost nothing. Uh, the risk of getting caught, especially if you're calling from a country that doesn't really care about American law, who cares? And the potential payout could be in the billions of dollars. So all of that means, hey, it's a pretty sound investment for an attacker. Uh, when it comes to impersonation, I'm actually a little bit at a loss now, to, to be honest with you, um, we collect news stories from around the globe on these vectors. And I am constantly amazed to see how many people are being caught impersonating law enforcement. And the only thing I can think of there is uh, is uh, it's, it's a form of deviancy because a lot of the crimes that are committed with them are violent crimes or high cost crimes, high end theft or violent crimes or sex crimes. So uh, the motivators for those types of things are much different.
1: And I've certainly heard of an uptick of uh, people getting calls, uh, people pretending to be from the IRS or, or from a sheriff's office and saying, you know, there's a warrant out for you. And unless you pay us this amount of money right away, you know, we're going to send somebody over there and you're going to be hauled away in handcuffs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we uh, I actually got a, f- a couple of those just a few months ago.
1: Hmm. Are there any aspects of social engineering that you think goes unappreciated or underreported? This is stuff that that works on us but flies under our radar.
0: Yeah, you know, when when you first said that I thought of one of the vectors that kind of disturbs me the most is what they call the grandma grandpa scam, so someone calls your grandparent and they say, "Hey, grandma, it's Chris. Listen, uh, I'm in prison in Mexico. I was down on a bachelor party with my buddies and I got picked up, uh, got too drunk, and I don't want my wife to find out, find out, you know, she'll kill me. You know, can can I borrow 5k for bail? And as soon as I get home, I'll pay you back. I just don't they stole my wallet. I don't have access to my ATM. Blah blah blah. I give a big excuse, and Grandma hears the voice but rationalizes, "Well, he said he was drunk. He's in prison. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to get in trouble with his wife," and she follows the instructions to go to CVS or Walmart and Western Union five thousand dollars to you know some random person. That to me is a something we don't hear a lot of. Uh, but it happens way too often, and it's a it's a pretty nefarious vector because the the poor folks that are falling for this generally are taking money from their life savings that they need to live or for medical care or for other things to help out their grandkids. Then to find out it was just a scam.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just as an aside, uh, I got a, a a letter from a listener who said that uh, his elderly father had been convinced to go to a local CVS store and buy um, iTunes gift cards. Yeah. to um, $5,000 worth in total, or several trips. And he was scratching his head as to, you know, he said, my father is not a stupid person. He's he's not a, he's not gullible, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, and yet they made him take, or they convinced him to take several trips, spend thousands of dollars. He said the other thing that troubled me was, no one at the CBS raised an eye, eyebrow and said, why is this elderly person buying thousands of dollars worth of iTunes gift cards?
0: Yeah, you know, I think you bring up a valid point. So one of the things that I've always disliked about, let's say, the infosec industry is, you know, they they favor bumper stickers or T-shirts that say something like there's no patch for human stupidity. And I don't think it's fair to say that if you fall for this vector that you're stupid. I think that social engineering works on us because we're human. Now, maybe that particular vector would not work on you or on me, but there is a vector that would work on you or me. I'm an Amazon junkie. So uh, the fish that tend to make me double take or the ones that actually have gotten me in the past have been related to Amazon orders or Mm -hmm. Amazon accounts or Amazon discounts. So it's just finding the right emotional trigger at the right time for the right person that can then make any human fall for a vector. So why did this elderly gentleman fall for that? I don't know, you know, but maybe whatever was said to him on the phone triggered an emotional response in him where his brain allowed him to make a yes decision on something that he definitely should have said no to. But it's just finding that trigger. And that's that's what these attackers gamble on, is that they'll be able to find that trigger for even just a small fraction of people. But the payout think about that. They may have tried that 100 times, but now that gentleman fell for it, and there's a $5,000 payoff for them, and an untraceable payoff.
1: Right. Now, you bring up a, a really good point, which is with these tendencies so hardwired into us, with all of us being human, how much does awareness
0: and training help? Oh, it helps a ton. So I, I make a comparison to something like like learning how to box or a martial art or how to fight. The first time, if you ever took a lesson, the first time you went into the dojo or the gym, anyone in the, the eight-year-old over there in the bag could have wiped the floor with you. And then you jump forward six months or a year later and muscle memory has kicked in to the point where you're blocking hits you didn't even see coming. You're fast on the bag. You know exactly how to move and duck and, and, and hit. And it's the same when it comes to these type of vectors. Awareness gives you that muscle memory that allows you to say, hey, that fish doesn't seem right. Or, wow, this phone call feels a little tricky. Or that request doesn't sound proper. And you learn how to block, duck, take the hit, and move forward without being a victim.
1: You know, for the the people in our audience who are responsible for security, how can they use social engineering to their advantage? How can they use it for good?
0: For those who are involved in having to influence the decisions in their company, I think there's a couple of things that could be done. First, security is always best when it's a team effort and when it's a culture, as opposed to when it's an adversarial relationship. So I find all too often with our clients, uh, the security folks are big into, I'm going to shame you if you messed up, or you know the, the classic IT guy that comes in and everyone hates him because he's so condescending. And that doesn't work. But if security is a team effort, if, if they view you as someone there to help protect them, someone interested in their welfare, someone actually looking out for them, then security becomes more of a pleasure point as opposed to a pain point. So utilizing the same communication skills to build rapport, use influence to, you know, internally sell, quote unquote, uh, air quotes in the um, security program, I think will go a long way in and making it more acceptable.
1: So, Christopher, your book, uh, Social Engineering, The Art of Human Hacking, I understand you have an update in the works that's going to be coming out soon. I
0: do. So that that book was, uh, of course, my first book and, uh, and something I've been very proud of. But uh, after looking at it, I said, wow, these stories are eight years old. There's a lot of things in there that have been updated a lot of science that has been renewed and and different so um i decided to take on the project of rewriting it the the version two is called social engineering the science of human hacking and it covers uh, a lot of scientific studies that involve a lot of the psychology and physiology and different things that we spoke about here in this interview and um that's coming out in june it will encompass the same kind of outline, but a lot more spin on a security awareness and how to use social engineering and as a pen tester, as a professional, and, and as a security awareness person.
2: So interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, that was a great interview with Chris. I got a couple couple things I want to note. Once again, I would like to say that, yes, law enforcement, IRS, they'll never call you. The sheriff's office has a warrant for your arrest. They will show up. They will come and get you, and they don't call you because they don't want to tip you off. Right. so that you, you then become a flight risk. They just show up and, and take you into custody.
1: Chris brings up a lot of a lot of good points. I, I particularly uh, like the point that we need to be careful to not just place blame on people for being human, for making yeah. human mistakes. It can happen to any of us. I,
2: I thought that was a salient point in, in this interview, in his, in his uh, statement that generally as security people, we tend to be a little more condescending, and how could you be so foolish to have fallen for that? And he's 100% correct. There are things out there that will make us vulnerable. We're a little more suspicious, but there are there are triggers that will work for us. Yeah. All right, Joe. Well,
1: as always, thanks for joining us. Look forward to talking to you next week. I look forward to it too, Dave. Thanks. And that is our podcast, thanks to our sponsor, No Before, whose new school security awareness training will help you keep your people on their toes with security at the top of their mind. Stay current about the state of social engineering by subscribing to their Cyber Heist News at know slash news. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com. Think of No before for your security training. The Hacking Humans podcast is a production of Pratt Street Media. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. And executive editor is Peter Kilpie. Special thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation in the show. We are proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of DataTribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. We'll see you next week.